Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Trent Rush in for Jim Rome here on this Friday, broadcasting from Southern California. Don't worry, Jim's going to be back on Monday. You can find me at Trent Rush Sports with clones at 1-800-636-8686 at Jim Rome. Good place to send some tweets. Canon SA. Hey, Trent, Philip Rivers can be our backup. Sincerely, Nick Cannon and Antonio Cromarty. Very good, Ken. Speaking of Philip, speaking of Philip, how about Philip Mickelson? This is amazing to me. So this book came out, Gambler, Secrets from a Life at Risk, just an expert from Billy Walters, 76 years old, by the way, which in itself is pretty great when you got a lifetime gambler at 76 years old now saying, screw it, we're putting it all in the book, let's go. And telling the stories. Well, he's telling the story about Phil Mickelson. These guys were like gambling partners for a while. Some of the notes that came out about this yesterday are worth discussing here. Because he's saying that Phil Mickelson, over the course of three decades, has gambled $1 billion. A billion dollars is what he estimates. So I said before the break. It's a legendary sports accomplishment. We were talking about, you know, I was going to say the Pete Rose hit record, but maybe Pete Rose not the best example to use in this particular instance, or maybe it is, because apparently Phil is also down a hundred grand, or excuse me, a hundred million dollars, which, by the way, is PGA Tour earnings throughout his career, like ninety six five is is what he's made on tour and wings. Yeah, now he, he's gotten the endorsement deals. Okay, I'm, I'm not really worried about Phil's bank account here, but apparently he's down 100 mil. And the, the wagers here, 1,115 uh, times he bet 110 grand to win 100 grand. 800 times he bet 220 grand to win over 200K. Seriously, these are the bets. So when you're thinking about, you know, Phil and Bones and, you know, they're at wing foot, and what should we be hitting off the tee here? Phil's not asking Bones what club to get. He's trying to figure out, hey, wait a minute. I got the Marlins plus one and a half. You know, how's Miami doing today? Like, these are the kind of moves. Because Phil Mickelson also, one day in 2011, in this book, Billy Walters alleges that Phil had made 43 baseball bets in a day. I think that's not a sickness. 43 baseball bets in a day and lost $143,000. That's a tough day at the office. Now, I'm sure he made all that back and some on the golf course. But but now I'm just trying to I'm just trying to imagine, you know, Phil hit his tee shot in the trees. He's trying to figure out if he can get a 7 iron over that next tree over there or if he needs to punch a 4 iron through. He's talking to Bones about, "Hey, what you know, what what kind of club should I get here?" It, it's not that conversation. It's, "Hey, did you guys find out? Did, did Gilbert Arenas get 22 points last night? I, I needed Washington to cover. These are the kind of these are the kind of bets like you're you're making in 2011 and what's going on on the golf course here. And that's not even to mention the golf course numbers that are coming out with Phil Mickelson. And I, I'm I'm just trying to I'm just trying to put myself into those shoes. Hey, did we get uh, eight and a half strikeouts last night? I mean, did how, how many how many runs were scored? in that Red Sox-Blue Jays game? Like, these are the questions that are being asked by Phil Mickelson. And not, okay, hey, do I, should I hit a draw here? No. And that's, that's what's amazing about this. Apparently, also, uh, in this book, 
there was an accusation that Phil had wanted to bet on the Ryder Cup in 2012 on Team USA. Phil wanted to to put his money where his mouth is and and stand up with the Americans in the Ryder Cup, which they ended up losing, by the way, at Medina in 2012. But he apparently wanted to bet $400,000 on that. And that's when Billy claims, right? And, and everything, everything that comes out of a, a gambling tell-all book, I feel like to a certain extent needs to be taken with a grain of salt, right? But it, it's not like Phil is denying any of this. I got his response right here that he posted on social media. Phil said, quote, I never bet on the Ryder Cup. While it is well known that I always enjoy a friendly wager on the course, I would never undermine the integrity of the game. I have also been very open about my gambling addiction. I have previously conveyed my remorse, took responsibility, have gotten help, have been fully committed to therapy that has positively impacted me, and I feel good about where I'm at now. That was what Phil Mickelson had to say, which on one level is kind of sad that, that Phil is, is down this road on a, on a serious tone. But for the purposes of taking a look at gambling a billion dollars, Phil didn't deny it. Phil was like, he's like proud. Phil's like proud. Like who else has bet a billion dollars throughout the course of their life? That is, that is a number. How does anybody ever achieve something like that? Phil Mickelson is very proud of it, it seemed like. Because if he wasn't, he would have denied it. There's no denying that. He, he denied that he didn't bet on the Ryder Cup. Okay, well, he it was never accused that he bet on the Ryder Cup. It was only accused that he wanted to bet on the Ryder Cup. Th- that is amazing to me. Again, 1-800-636-8686. You can find me on social media, at Trent Rush Sports, at Jim Rome, another place uh, to, to send some tweets in. But you thought this story might have been over. No, it wasn't, because Rory McIlroy was asked about it. Here's what Rory had to say totally different topic the talk of the golf world is this book excerpt that came out uh about phil mickelson i'm curious what the your reaction what the reaction in there was when you read about it um i mean at least he can bet on the Ryder cup this year because he won't be a part of it so Ooh, <laughs> tough guy rory mcelroy oh boy Straight out of the schoolyard. This this is the show with the smack off, the legendary smack off. There is no way, there is no way Tom and Jack or Alvin are answering the phone if that's what you call with to get on this show. If any, does anything scream more country club child golf prodigy as a kid more than this kind of smack? that wouldn't even work on the middle school schoolyard. Can we hear that one more time? Totally different topic. The talk of the golf world is this book excerpt that came out uh, about Phil Mickelson. I'm curious what the your reaction, what the reaction in, in there was when you read about it. Um, I mean, at least he can bet on the Ryder Cup this year because he won't be a part of it. So, I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I like Rory, too. I like Rory. I like what he's done for the PGA Tour. I like that he's been the guy to take the stand. I don't think Rory belongs in the same conversation as the all-time great, so I don't think Rory belongs in the discussion with Tiger, with Jack, with Arnold Palmer, heck, with even Phil Mickelson. Okay, It's been a decade since Rory has won a major. It's been a long time, so I don't think Rory is even in that class, but he does have four of them. But, man, leave it to the golfers. I'm a golf guy, too. 
right? I, I, I love playing golf. I respect golfers as athletes. I think what they do is incredibly challenging. I think it's very impressive what golfers do. But, man, leave it to the golfers to go throw the pot shots through the media. You know who's not throwing pot shots in the media? Guys that have to stand in a batter's box when they can get their tower buzzed at 100 miles an hour. You know who's not taking pot shots in the media? Wide receivers that are running a slant route through the middle going up against an NFL middle linebacker? Like, those guys are keeping their mouth shut. But the golfers, what are you afraid? So you're going to trip on a rake? Is, is that what the fear is, Rory? A tree branch is going to come down and get in the way of your shot? Like, that's what you have to worry about. So it's pretty easy as a golfer to go out and throw some of that out there. I mean, I love it. I love I love that that was what Rory came back with. But in a lot of respects, man, how, <laughs> it's kind of funny to me that Phil has no denial of what's happened here. And think about the Phil Mickelson journey, if you may. Phil Mickelson, who was family man, beloved, fan favorite, signing autographs for all the kids, was that for his entire career. We're talking like 30 years of being that guy. Walking around, the smiles, the waves, the thumbs up. Does Maybe the thumbs up really just meant he hit the over that day. Maybe that's what the thumbs up really has been about throughout his career. But Phil Nixon goes from being that guy. And everyone knew about the gambling. You know, it was behind closed doors, but it was, it was a bad secret. A lot of people knew about this. And then he becomes... Public enemy number one, the the ultimate villain of golf is where Phil Mickelson ended up on the move to live and everything that has happened there. I almost think that this makes Phil more likable, right? I, I think this is now something that I'm not trying to condone gambling here. I'm not, I'm not here for that, but especially at, at Phil's level. But in some ways, does this not make Phil a little bit more likable that he's able to accomplish such a legendary feat of gambling a billion dollars? My goodness. I mean, that's, that's myth. That's legend. And that word gets used a lot, but a billion dollars gambled by Phil Mickelson? It's absolutely insane. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back that you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though, see terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. Now, this is an honor, a privilege to have somebody as esteemed as our guest now. Uh, a four-time Super Bowl champion, 10-time Pro Bowler, six-time All-Pro, a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and quite frankly, one of the best defensive players the game has ever seen. Ronnie Lott joining us here on the Jim Rome Show here on this Friday as football season has begun. Ronnie, it's great to hear from you. How are you? I'm doing good. Doing good, man. Hanging in there, um, ready for the season. Um, yeah, it's, it's that time of year where you start to, you know, you start to smell it. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait. When you get to August 11th, right, and you start to look at the calendar and you've been in camp and getting ready for the season and you've been hitting on your teammates, um, at this point, when you guys are getting close to the season beginning, uh, can you take me back maybe to your days with the Niners in training camp just when you're, when you're at that point getting set for the start of the season? Yeah, I think what happens is um, 
you know, there's always one, the goal, the goal of uh, trying to, you know, win a championship. And then the other part of it is that, um, you know, you, 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 you can't wait to get around the guys. You can't wait to get around the guys because, you know, the guys that you play with are usually uh, a group of guys that you enjoy being around. There's always, uh, you know, moments where you're going to have a couple laughs. Uh, you're going to have moments where you're going to share some, you know, some some hardships. And 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 the best part about it to me is that um, you're trying to climb the mountain with some people that you really care about, and and that part is really uh, it's essential because it's got to be something where you care more about how everyone is feeling each and every day because you want to maximize the best of each other. And uh, maximizing the best of each other usually comes when people are challenging you. And and so there are a lot of, you know, amazing moments that uh, I can think of of uh, times that I've, you know, you, you get ready for camp and you're thinking, okay, I got to, you know, I got to stop Jerry Rice. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, you think of those days and you realize that you're going to lose a lot of those days and you're going to lose a lot of those moments. But it all all in all, you, you know that um, there are moments that you're going to, you know, you're going to, you know, hopefully pick Joe. And you're going to hopefully, you know, find a way to, you know, um, stop Roger Craig on on one of his moves. And so, yeah, it's a it's a lot of things that go into it. And I think every every player, every player usually walks into it with a goal or some type of thing that they're trying to do. And if you're not walking into it with a, a goal in mind. The likelihood is that you 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 might get cut, yeah. <laughs> and you might get cut because, you know, you're not really, you're not even really sure or confident, and um, yeah, I mean, I've seen yeah. it where guys come in and they're not really sure or confident, and they're you know they're afraid, they're intimidated by you know the the just being in that environment. So it, it it's it's tough. It's tough for a lot of reasons. Ronnie, when I think about the teams you were a part of, a lot of great players, obviously, and, and what you were able to accomplish on the field speaks for itself, and we all saw it. I think that one thing maybe in the game today in the era of big contracts and free agency and a lot of movement and all those things that happen and, and individual brands and all that, not all of it's bad, by the way, but for you, when you were able to keep a team – Joe Montana and Jerry Rice and countless others, the very best of the best, how that group was able to stay together. The leadership, to me, I think jumps out about that. What are some ways maybe uh, you guys were able to stay so close together that maybe the generation now can learn from? Well, the the generation can learn from, you know, usually management. <laughs> and, and, and what I mean by that is that, hey, man, when you're when you're when you own a team and you're running a team and you're involved in a team and you're trying to get certain things done, it starts from the top. And uh, Eddie DeBarlo, it starts from the top with him. And and what I mean by that is that 
there was there was a standard, there was an expectation, there were a lot of things that um, that he wanted, and so all of a sudden you think about that, that then translates into Bill Walsh, what Bill Walsh wants, translates into all the what the coaches and all the coaches want. And eventually, what you find as as when you when you first walk on, you realize that wait a minute, everybody's got some expectations, and and you're trying to uh, you know you're trying to make sure that you can live up to those expectations, and and you try to do it you know uh, to me the best that you can. And the other thing that's really interesting to me is like a lot of times you don't realize that. Somebody has an expectation of you, and 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 that might be your last year. Meaning that that's they, you know, they looked at you and said, "Hey, this is it." And so you don't really understand some of the expectations because a lot of times they're not, you know, they're not going to let you know about the expectations, and and yet you're out there, you know, trying to. You're trying to live up to whatever that is yeah. that they're thinking, and and that's, you know, to me, you know, I'm I'm watching some of the guys that I've I've met over the years, and as they get older, you know, here you are, you're Aaron Donald, and you're you know you're a great football player, um, but the expectation of what you can do for how many more years, and yeah. and so it's just a lot of different things that you know, go into it. And, and the great thing for, um, you know, a guy like Aaron Donald is to go into it like, hey, I'm a rookie again. Yeah. Who cares? I'm going to just go out and play as hard as I can, and I'm going to have fun, and I'm going to enjoy myself. And, you know, I I know that if I do and play as hard as I can, like I did my rookie year, I'm going to have a lot of fun, and I'm going to have, some, you know, hopefully some some great moments that come out of it. Love that approach. We're talking with Ronnie Lott right now, the Pro Football Hall of Famer, four-time Super Bowl champion. Ronnie, this is now 20 years of the Lott Impact Trophy. It's regarded as the Heisman of defense in college football. Uh, you look at the last five years, four of them have been top ten picks. You've had really great Will Anderson, Aiden Hutchinson, two of the recent winners uh, of the Lot Impact Trophy. Ronnie, I know that this is an award that has raised several million dollars for the community over the last 20 years. Uh, for you to have your name attached to something like this and to be such an important part of it, the forefront of identifying not just great football players, but great leaders as well. How proud are you of this award now, 20 years this season of the Lot Trophy? Uh, I'm very proud of it for a lot of reasons and, and a lot of the things that we were just talking about. I mean, the people you come and work with, the people that you come and have certain expectations with, uh, the people that are trying to do certain things in the community to try to help others and and so when you think about, you know, again, and you think about that community of people that you have responsibilities for and those people that you play for and the things that you're trying to do, and each and every year that's what the Lot Award is trying to represent. It's not just an award that we hand somebody something. It's an award that we feel like we have an obligation to make sure that we are touching people in the community and that we are doing certain things. And at the same time, it's been some 
unbelievable guys. Yeah. I mean, you know, J.J. Watt and, 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 and so many other guys that have just done extraordinary things, not only playing the game, but off the field. And I think what's great is that, you know, you find yourself trying to exhaust life, trying to exhaust every moment. And, and I know that, you know, J.J. Watt, that's what he's done. He's exhausted a lot of moments to help a lot of different people around, literally around the country. And, and, and that's, you know, to me is really what we're all trying to do is how do we extend ourselves? How do we play hard? How do we give everything we can? And, and I saw it this, you know, this past weekend at the Hall of Fame. Every time I'm there, I find myself realizing that, man, I'm so lucky that I get a chance to sit with some of the best of the best and to hear them pay homage to Jim Brown and to hear them talk about Jim Brown. And what was interesting is that everybody that spoke to him or spoke about him had things to say about not just his football, but everything that he stood for. And, and to me, that's that's a champion. That's that's what you yeah. want, and that's what we're trying to teach these kids. And and some of these kids have gone on to create their own identities, and they're creating their own legacies. And and uh, I'm just you know so so thankful that we've had a chance to be able to say, hey, on the defensive side, here are some guys that literally are trying to do certain things at their school right now. And we've been able to, you know, capture that. And we've been able to talk to them. And I've had some really interesting, you know, conversations with some guys that, you know, they're 19, 18, 20 years old. And they're talking about how they volunteer their time. And they've been able to go and help, you know, students. And they've been able to go and volunteer their time to provide food. And so you find these stories that are just you know, amazing, but it also tells you that, again, their parents, their communities have taught these kids that here are certain things that you got to stand for. Here are certain things that you bring to the table. And it's been really, you know, great to hear and great to see all these young men that have done some tremendous things. And then they've gone on, you know, to do you know, incredible yeah. things. We have one guy that's a, you know, um, has been a defensive coach for for many years. We've had another guy that's now a head coach in the in the yeah, NFL. Yeah, D'Amico Rollins, it's amazing. Yeah, D'Amico, and so it's just a lot of good things. A lot of good things that uh, that's really been in the forefront of making sure that we honor good people. It's phenomenal. Ronnie, thank you so much for the time today. 20 years, big milestone of the Lot Impact Trophy. Looking forward to seeing uh, what it comes out with. Uh, this year should be a fun college football season as well. Really appreciate uh, Ronnie for the time today here on the Jim Rome Show. 
U.S. Cellular knows how important your kid's relationship with technology is, and they have made it their mission to help them establish good digital habits early on. That's why they have partnered with Screen Sanity, a nonprofit dedicated to helping kids navigate the digital landscape. And for a smarter start to the school year, U.S. Cellular is also offering a free basic phone on new eligible lines, providing an alternative to a smartphone for kids. Start smarter with with U.S. Cellular. Visit uscellular.com slash built for us to find out more. Restrictions to apply. Visit uscellular.com for terms. That is a, a wide open division. And, and you would like to think, like, if you're Tampa Bay, you're probably thinking, well, in, in that division, maybe that's part of why you feel like you have a shot. But has Baker Mayfield, from what you've seen, look like he's kind of done enough to, to look like he's that guy? Well, I mean, it's still very early. I was there on day four of training camp, and he made some really good throws, and he made some, you know, off throws as well. Um, There are areas where, and, you know, once you get to games is when you really start to see it because there's a lot of times with a a number of veteran quarterbacks that I've seen uh, where they force some things in practice and training camp because they're trying to figure out, okay, what can I get away with? What are the capabilities of my wide receiver? What um, are we able to do? A couple of days later, I was in uh, New Orleans, and uh, I saw Derek Carr really force-feeding the ball to Michael Thomas, and sometimes it paid off, sometimes it didn't, but he was trying to explore his, his connection with him. So I'm not ready to pass ba- a judgment on Baker Mayfield based on what I saw in practices. Again, I know from what we've seen what the good – the upside of Baker Mayfield is and why that would be appealing to the Bucks. Um, if he can take care of the football, if he can um, make those plays, extend plays, and really kind of have that gunslinger mentality like we saw him uh, in uh, 2020, I think it was, with the Browns when they made it to the playoffs, then that is the guy that's going to give the Bucks a chance to win the division there. Now we saw him the next year where he was nursing that shoulder injury. He wasn't as effective, wasn't um, nearly as you know aggressive. Um, you know, if that's the guy, uh, then, you know, they're, they're going to struggle and maybe they'll have a quarterback carousel. But from, from talking to Baker, from talking to Todd, I think that they feel like, hey, what we saw last year with the Panthers is not uh, what we're getting here. What we saw in that late season stretch with the Rams, uh, where he really gave them some energy and yeah. made some plays, that's the guy that we can um, you know, foresee leading us this year. Speaking of quarterbacks with something to prove, we got to see C.J. Stroud last night in a Texans uniform. The rookie, you talk about games being important and, and looking at those a little bit. He struggled in his two series, two for four, 13 yards, had the interception there. Um, what's maybe the sense of what you get with what's going on uh, in Houston about how they feel about C.J. Stroud's progression? You know, I, I think D'Amico Ryan said it best afterwards. He said, look, he's fine. I mean, look, it was it was a couple series, uh, his first NFL action where you're actually getting hit and you're not wearing the different color jersey so nobody touches you. Uh, and, you know, the game speeds up a little bit. So what's going to be interesting is what does he take from that two series showing and then next week, how does he build on it? That's what the, the, the Texans coaches want to see. Um, you know, he's done good things in practice. He's a rookie, so it's not going to be perfect, but they want to see the progress. And, you know, that, that's what will tell us more than anything than what we saw last night in that, you know, limited action. Mike Jones, National NFL writer with The Athletic, with us right now here on the Jim Rome Show. Mike, I, I got to tell you, the, the division that is of most interest to me 
has to be the NFC East uh, from what I'm standing right now. I think Philly has a chance to be really good. I know a lot of people are really high on the Cowboys. I think that Washington could be really bad, which makes things interesting for how they handle what's coming up uh, beyond this season. But I, I was reading your story when you were talking about some of the big storylines coming into the season. And based on maybe some of your takeaways on how tough it is for a team that goes into the Super Bowl to get back to the Super Bowl, how that Super Bowl hangover is real, um, what's your assessment to this point of maybe what you think the Philadelphia Eagles can be this year? You know, that's going to be a big question. They, they have a new offensive coordinator. They have a new defensive coordinator. I think offensively it won't be um, as big of an adjustment because Brian Johnson um, was their quarterback's coach and is in the ear of Jalen Hurts. They have a good relationship, and Nick Sirianni is an offensive-minded coach, uh, so there's not as much of a change. But, uh, you know, defensively, yeah, they've got uh, a whole new, um, you know, defensive coordinator so there's going to be growing pains there they have veterans they also have young guys they're working in there um and you know it is uh last year they kind of snuck up on people um yes they had shown some promise the year before but they made a huge leap now the expectations change where you've got to deal with that pressure you go from being a hunter to being one of the hunted uh so that's going to be the big test for them Uh, i think they have the capability uh to continue to build but again, there's a lot of times when you expect to see a team come right back and they really don't. It's, it's, it's hard for teams, we've seen historically, to make it back to the Super Bowl after losing that year. Um, and there's also, it's hard for them to even make it to the playoffs. I don't think that'll be the challenge for the Eagles, though. I think they'll make it to the playoffs. Um, yes, their division, you have the Cowboys that should be decent um, again. And um, you have the Giants that should improve as well. And, you know, like you said, Washington is a big question mark because of their quarterback situation. Uh, But the Eagles should lead the pack in that division. Uh, We'll see how they match up once they get out of the division. Mike, in regards to Washington for a moment, I mean, because this is a fascinating one. We've been talking all day about how when you're intentionally anti-competitive, that usually works against you. That said, if you're the commanders, and you see Caleb Williams and you're watching him score touchdowns left and right for USC all season long, one would have to think, man, oh, man, Caleb Williams with this roster can make a really big difference for this franchise. If you were the commanders, how tempting do you think it would be uh, maybe to not be as interested in winning a whole lot of games, knowing that we want to make sure we have Caleb Williams under center in 24? Well, the problem with that is is that you have a head coach who – uh, you don't know what his future is. You've got a new ownership group. They are evaluating evaluating everything. Um, you could wind up having a new GM. Um, you know, so they don't want to be unintentionally, you know, compete. Sure. They don't want to. You know, they're not tanking. They know that they need to compete. Um, Ron Rivera needs to show something to prove to Josh Harris and the new ownership group that he is the guy uh, to continue to lead this franchise. Because you know, as they said when they you know took over. Uh, Magic Johnson, Josh Harris, they they didn't just buy this team just to have it. They want to compete. And so I don't think that they're in a position where there's enough familiarity between the head coach and the administration uh, to to tank sure. and set yourself up for a high pick. Because um, if Ron Rivera, if they struggle, um, you know, you've got a guy in Eric Bieniemy that's right there as your offensive coordinator who will wind up replacing you as head coach. 
I guess as long as uh, BME isn't too tough uh, on the guys, as we that's been a storyline yeah. earlier this week. Uh, Mike, last thing, as uh, we're getting a chance to see uh, Aaron Rodgers, he's on the diet and he's there with the Jets and things seem like they're going well. Um, what do you think the expectation is for this Jets team this year with Aaron Rodgers under center? And it sounds like he might even be committed potentially beyond this season to sticking in New York. Yeah, well, he reworked his deal, so it looks like he's there at least for two years. Um, their expectations are high. They expect to compete for a Super Bowl. Now, um, is that realistic? I think it might be a little unrealistic, at least this year, because, look, I know Tom Brady came in in Tampa and won in the first year, and I know Matthew Stafford came in and won in the first year, but those are both veteran teams. They, there's still some young talent that's still developing on this Jet squad, and then, even more importantly, Look at the AFC's landscape. You have a really tough division you're in with Buffalo and Miami, and I think New England will bounce back this year. Now they have a real offensive coordinator to work with their quarterback. And then after you get their division, are you going to get past Joe Burrow and uh, Lamar Jackson and you know Justin Herbert? This is a really tough field. Somebody, a very talented quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, you know, the Chiefs, somebody's not going to make it in the playoffs, even though they're a really, really good quarterback. Um, and so uh, they, there might be a little bit of growing pains this year for the Jets. Um, it almost feels a little too good to be true. I see. Well, look, the AFC could be really fun this year and crazy competitive. Uh, Mike Jones, thank you so much for joining us here today. What a great time. Like football season is here. That's just a good feeling to have that, Mike. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. All right, there he goes. Mike Jones from the Athletic National NFL writer. Good night now!